Join me in prayer if, if you're inclined. Father, we come here today to worship you and celebrate you and, and take great joy in your name and, and to even say, um, you know, praise you when it's hard and praise you when it's easy. We praise you all the time and we're walking with you through life, the good, the bad, and the other. We're just coming with you into this place of worship. Um, we do trust that you are here with us and we ask now, Father, for this specific time, if, if no other time during the week, that we can set this time aside and open your word and be instructed by you that you would teach us something today that we need to hear and that you would encourage us by the proclamation of your word, by the proclamation of your Holy Spirit, that you would teach us and change us from the inside out. We believe that you are a God who is living and active and we pray that you would intercede and, and intervene in our lives to shape us and direct us on this journey we have together. Uh, we trust you with this, and we pray these prayers in the, in the name above every name on this planet, in the name of Jesus Christ. All right, praise God. So we're going to continue this morning in the book of Hebrews as a series we, we, we're calling Because Jesus. Um, the, the overarching theme is that Jesus is greater than anything else in our lives, and, and that's true no matter who you are or where you are. There's nothing greater than Jesus. And we're going to be studying in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 today. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and take that out and find Hebrews 4. And if you don't have a Bible, grab one off the end of the chair rows. We provide them for you so you can get eyes on the text. I'd be discouraged if you went out and you said to someone, you know, I heard at church this today and someone said well where is that where, why do you think that and you said well because Bill said it that's a terrible reason to believe things right I mean the truth is that the scripture is teaching all of us we're going to hear that today from the scripture itself and so we should be getting eyes on it ourselves um, one of the one of the great parts of my story is I came to Christ as a skeptic I mean a complete skeptic and it was the word of God that convinced me and convicted me and, and not in a mental way but in a holistic way to believe the gospel which is the point it's not about head knowledge it's about believing the gospel and following Jesus while we're here on earth. So um, I'm going to kind of talk and, uh, as we go through this text. So we're not going to read it and go back because there's a lot of text we're going to cover today. But we're going to kind of walk through it together. And I want to do this. I want to back up to verse 16 of chapter 3 to give us a bit of a context for what we're walking into. Because you see in verse 4, 1, it says, therefore. And so when there's a therefore, we want to go back and figure out what's going on. So we're going to walk back to 16 and kind of come back where we started or where we ended last week. This is what the word says. Who are they who heard and rebelled? Were they not those that Moses led out of Egypt? Talking about Israel here. And with whom has he, this is God, been angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? You see? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not for those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And that's where we stopped last week, that that kept some Israelites from entering the promised land. Their unbelief kept them from entering. Verse, uh, one, chapter one of verse, chapter four, verse one. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you, now this is written to the church, right? Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Fallen short of what? Entering God's rest. The promise still exists. We're going to walk that out in a second. Because we have had the gospel preached to us just as they had the gospel preached to them, but the message that they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith, right? They didn't put it together with, actually, it's like, it's not, the word's not faith. They didn't combine it with hearing what or living 
as though they've heard the gospel. You with me? That's, that was the problem. They had been shared the same gospel that we have heard, that God will deliver them, that he'll make a way for them, and yet they died in the desert because they didn't combine it with what they believed or how they acted, the way they lived their lives. Now we who have believed into the rest, just as God has said, so I declare an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. Now that might seem confusing to you. I'm going to stop here and we're going to walk through this a little bit, give you a little bit of context, right? He's talking about Israel in the desert. And we talked last week about how God delivered. And you know the story of Exodus, probably. Even if you've never been to church, you've heard the story of Exodus, probably how God said, let my people go. And the, the waters parted and they went across and the enemy was swallowed up pursuing them. And after such a great deliverance of God, they walked into the desert and, and after following Moses, they began to complain because they thought they were going to die in the desert. They were disobedient in the desert. The word says that they hardened their hearts against God in the desert. And I told you last week, and I'm not going to go over this too much, but I'm saying there is something profound that we need to understand as Christians that we, we could hear the gospel, and we could be excited about the gospel, and then we could begin to follow Jesus as we pursue the gospel in our lives, and then we can end up in a desert where we begin to become hard-hearted, willingly choosing to be disobedient to God, doubting his very goodness in nature. And this is the hard part, and I know this is what I'm saying, deep work die in the desert without ever receiving the promise and these are things that we wrestle with at family bible church we say well this is a big what does that even mean is that possible right we're going to talk about that a little bit later is that is that possible but that's the warning look at it it says be careful that none of you can be found to fall short of the goal be careful that you don't you won't fall short, right? It's, it's amazing to me, and maybe, and maybe it shouldn't be because we're all human, but it's amazing to me that you could be delivered in such a powerful way by the hand of God, be set free from your captors. And remember last week, free from the fear of death. You don't have to fear death in this life anymore, and that's true. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have nothing to fear in death, nothing. The, the word says things like, if, you know, um, what can man do to me to threaten me with if it's not my own life, Right? But he says, be careful you don't fall short of the goal, and the goal is to enter into God's rest. He says, the promise still stands. There's coming a day. I loved our song selection today. Praise God for his sovereign uh, oversight of our preparation for worship. It's beautiful that there's coming a day where we'll enter his rest. He's making a way for us. And that's the goal. It's as if we lose focus on who called us from slavery and we begin to believe the lie of our captors and our enemies that's what happened the funny thing is the scripture seems to say that this is the work of the people that this is a hardening of their own hearts this is the turning of themselves away from god and the good news and the kingdom that's promised to him i heard a um a, uh, another pastor preaching about the Exodus story, and he said that um, when, the, when the Israelites went to investigate the promised land, right, that 12 people had gone to see, is this possible? Are we going to make it? And, and when they came back, all 12 were really excited. Man, it's going to be so good when we're, you know, with God forever in the promised land. Like, he's making a place for us. And I'm going to start trans posing these things with Christ in the gospel. I want you to understand these are the same things. It's not a different God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus is the one and only God. And this true story of Israel is overlapped with this true story of Jesus Christ and entering the promised land. 
And so maybe that's the experience, and you go with some brothers, and you go, this is going to be so great. And then you turn around, and you come back, and you're living in this space in the desert, and you begin to question what you just saw. Is it that good? That's what happened. That's what this pastor was talking. That's what happened. Ten of the twelve began to go, I'm not so sure. Did we see that right? Those guys were huge, and we're very small. This life is hard, and I'm very weak. And the key difference... And you can check this out in the Old Testament. The key difference is that the two that believed it didn't look at the circumstances of man. Like, that's what it, they looked toward God. God's huge, and these giants are small. That's what happened, right? So this, why is the author of Hebrews, he's writing to the Jewish audience, but why is this written to the church to say, be careful that you don't fall short? This is written to those who are believing the gospel. Be careful in this life that you don't fall short of the goal. Unite your, your faith with what you do. Pursue him in the hard times. Be careful so that you may not be found to have fallen short of God's best for you. I believe the same principles are true. When, when, uh, when, you know what is funny about this? We can forget God any time. I don't know if you think that's true, but we can forget God in our success as easily as we can forget God in our failure. You know that's true? You, you, I've, I've known so many friends of mine, they don't have a need for a savior. They don't see they're in bondage to slavery. They don't understand that they're broken and sin-filled. They, they're so caught up in this world, they can't even see the need they have. And then I got other friends from the side and they're so up to their necks. You know, they're so overwhelmed and they're clinging to their faith and they're, and they're going, I'm, I'm not sure. Both of those things, both of those times are terrible times to forget it's God who called us out. And that's what the Hebrews, author of Hebrews is saying here. Don't be like them. Don't die in the desert. Over and over, this text will tell us to press on to the end, receive the goal of our faith the fulfillment of what we're called to do. Verse two again, for we have had the gospel preached to us like they did to them, but they did not, they, what they heard was of no value because they didn't combine it with faith. Or they didn't hear it and act on it, right? There's a, there's a big thing going on. It was, it was a hard week, by the way, just as a, uh, I felt like as a country this week, it was a hard week. It was just a hard week as a Christian this week. It's, it's bad, bad, tough week. And, and you go, Lord, what, what are you doing? Um, what's happening in this world? But the sad truth is that for so many of us who claim Christ as our Savior, our lives don't look much different. And I'm not saying be different to be, but I'm saying we don't look much different. We, we, we get, you know, oh no, no, what's going to happen? You know, we're as desperate as the next person in, the, in this country, this world. Instead of, and the, the text today is going to drive us toward this place of intimacy with God and saying, yeah, you can come, come boldly in with him. You, you can enter into this safe space with Jesus in your life, despite the troubles you're experiencing. They did not combine it with what, what they heard. They didn't act on it. They didn't integrate their faith in their life in a meaningful way. And that's one of the calls that we have. But we're going to talk today, and someone said last week, they said, well, next week's going to be awesome. It's about the rest, right? And we're going to talk about that. Now, we who believe, enter that rest. I told you this is kind of weird. Just as he said, so I declare an oath, my oath in anger that they shall not enter my rest, or they shall never enter my rest. And that will be the people who will die, who will die in the desert. Like, that will be the people who will be hard-hearted. So the author is assuming that if there's people who are going to not make it into the rest, or people who are going to make it into his rest, and we saw that was true for Israel, they did inherit the promised land. They did get everything he promised to them. God is faithful, and yet, and this is, the, um, this is where we, I ended up with this kind of thought for the week, is that rest requires faith. That they had to believe that the God who made the promise was worthy and going to keep the promise even whenever everything looked like it wasn't going to work out. The crazy thing is, 
that Israel stood on the threshold of the promised land and didn't believe and was rebuked back to the desert for 40 years. And, and then the next generation stood on the same threshold and had the same choice and chose to believe that God would keep his word and entered the promised land. There's kind of an idea there that had they not believed, they would have rebuked back to the desert. Do you not know who you're following? You're following the God who keeps his promises. And that is especially true when we're in hard times. So if there's people who will not enter, there are people who will enter, that's what he says, and that's the people who are going to be believing and acting as though they believe. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. Now we're going to talk here about three types of, three rests that he brings up in this book. And the first is right here. And yet his work, God's work, has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. I'm going to stop. So that's the first idea, creation rest, that God created everything and, and, and then was at rest. His, his work was finished. It's funny to me, it's striking to me, that the final day of his act of creation was the creation of man. And I know right now we have all these, you know, debates, you know what I'm saying, between like faith and science, it's like this whole thing going on. But I'm telling you that every narrative we become, we are this final creative act, you know, um, that, that people don't want to admit it, you know what I'm saying, but that's why we, we think we can change the world. Like, why do people believe that that's true? I mean, even people who say there's no God believe that people can change the world. Why do you think that's true? Because they believe that we are the species that are superior to other species, even as they say you're not superior to other species. And so the, the Bible certainly says that that, that was his creative, creative um, you know, pinnacle. He created man, and then he rested. Man, he said it's very good, and he rested from all of his work. It's the first uh, Sabbath we're reminded of here that God had rested from his creating, creation activities. Someone said to me this week, they said, well, the, you know, I'm thinking about this. Maybe God just wound the clock up and turned it loose, and he has no control anymore. That's maybe something you can choose to believe. That God, that's, you know, that's what it kind of sounds like, right? But then look what the next verse says. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. That is not a God who wound up the clock and let it go. That is a God who continually intervenes for his people and rebukes them in love and chastises them when they're disobedient. He made them. He knows them. He made you. He knows you. He knows your life. He knows your choices. He knows your, your, everything about you. And, and he is the God who's intervening on our behalf and trying to call us to himself, calling us to his son oh, beyond ourselves to righteousness and holiness and sinlessness. And you and I, if we follow him for any period of time, we're like Peter. We fall down in the boat and we say, I'm a man of unclean lips because you know your brokenness and I know mine. Here, he says, there's a second kind of rest and it's the rest of the promised land. It's the rest that we will enter into if we believe. It's the sure promise of God. It's not dependent on us. It's dependent on believing that he is capable to do what he says. And that's what the verse 5 says. And again, the passage above says, they shall never enter my rest, right? That's God with his people actively intervening. And in verse 6, it still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached them did not go in because of their disobedience, right? And now we're going to flip. I'm going to read a few more verses here. Therefore, God again set a certain day, and here it is, calling it today, when a long time ago, he, uh, a long time later, he spoke to David and said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your own heart. 
Don't do that. Don't live in disobedience to God. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day of rest that's coming. So there's a third type of rest that's coming for the people of God. That's the promise. And, and the word here says it's called today, a day of entering his rest. So we have the creation Sabbath. We have Israel's rest in the promised land when they inherit the promised land. Although you look at the Middle East now, it doesn't look like a lot of rest is happening there, right? But then we have this kingdom promise of a rest that's being brought in Jesus' name. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I want to talk uh, for a moment about that. This idea up above where it says uh, in verse 6, they didn't go in because of their disobedience. That's, that's one translation of that, that they, they disobeyed uh, what they knew to be, to be right and good and pure and holy, right? But that sounds a lot like um, us uh, earning our salvation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that we must have the right uh, information and make the right decisions and all these things. And, and I, I don't believe that that's true. I mean, the Bible says that the gospel rescues us in our deadness. He, he delivers us from the grave. I mean, literally, like right now, and if you, I want to say, if you don't know Jesus, you're in a grave. You just don't know it yet. Like you are in a grave. You're dead in your sin. You can't lift a finger to make it right. There's not enough good acts to do to make up for your brokenness. The way you hurt others, the way I hurt others, there's, there's nothing. And the truth of the gospel and this powerful experience that we have in Christ is not that we manifest the energy and showed up and admitted that we knew who Jesus was of our own volition, but it was that we were dead and God in his mercy, here it is again, came and entered into our lives and touched us in a way that he raised us to new life. I told you before, I was a skeptic. I was a cynic. I was a non-believer. And I was like, I was like an aggravated non-believer. And God, in his mercy, reached in and touched me in a way that I can't deny his reality, even if you all would want me to. Even if my friends who don't believe would want me to, I can't deny it anymore. It's in me. It's coming out of me. I don't control him. But before that, I was dead. And if you don't know Christ, so are you. There's this third type of rest that's coming. That's a promise in Jesus' name where he intervenes on behalf of his people today. So what is our responsibility then? I mean, because I just told you there was time in the desert. Man, I think we see it today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Disobedience is a willful lack of faith. Isn't that interesting? Because you, you might think like, if you read that, you say, well, disobedience means you, dis, you, you, you go, uh, God says go over here, I'm not going to go over here, I'm going to go over here. That, that's true, but you know what that is? That's really a willful lack of faith in believing that what God has said is true. You may have heard it said before that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you go, maybe, but I'm going to go over here. That's a willful disobedience. That's a willful lack of faith that God is who he says he is. Why did I tell you earlier, if you're gonna, you know, if you've not read the Bible, read it for yourself, engage scripture, talk to God, wrestle and ask the hard questions. Don't be a coward, but enter in with him and say, if you're here, show me where you're here. Show up in my life. Give me, you know, the, the famous movie with Jim Carrey, you know, um, give me a sign, <laughs> right? There's signs all around, but we willfully ignore them. We choose, here it is, to not believe we choose to not believe and the word says we die in the desert now i told you that challenges our theology sometimes right you go what what that, is that true um i was reminded um in my preparation of the text about the sower in in the field 
And it would be one thing if the word says, well, there was a, uh, the, there was a sower sowing seed, and, and, and some fell on rocky soil, and it, and it died. <laughs> um, some fell on, um, um, amongst the thorns, and it died. Um, some fell and was picked up by birds, and it died. And, and then some fell and lived. But that's not what it says. No. It says some fell on rocky soil, and had shallow roots. And when the heat of the day came, and when the trials came, it burned up in the sun because it, it had no root. It was on bad soil. Some, it said, fell amongst the thorns and the thistles, and, and it was crowded out by the stuff in life. It was in there, yeah. It was real, yeah. But it was being choked out by the stuff around it. But then it says some fell on and so some fell and was taken away, never even got a root in. But the crazy thing is you have the ones that didn't root, but you have some that rooted. You have some that was growing but was being choked by the world. And then the word says that some falls on good soil and produces a crop 30, 60, 100 fold, right? Some falls on good soil. And you say, well, what's going on there? I remember a great friend of mine one time, I was talking to him about faith. And I had to, uh, and this is hard. I'm just being honest with you, but, you know, wrestling with my own faith journey, and I was telling the story about how I come close to Christ. I come close to Christ, and you know, I was born and raised in church, um, and then I left, and um, then I went to a, a, a camp and heard a, heard a gospel preacher preach an altar call, and I went forward and gave my life to Jesus, and, and then I ignored God, willfully lost faith. I mean, really, right? You go, well, he's a kid. What's in it? It's your fault, right? Went back a year later, heard the same gospel preached, felt the spirit of God in me, went forward, rededicated my life, you know, and then just willfully slowly walked away from God. I'm telling you, what is your prayer for your faith life? Because now God has started something in me and I, I want to nurture that. I want to I not willfully um, not believe. Uh, I, I want to not even kind of stand there and hope he drags me along, but I want to I surrender my heart. Do you want that? I want to be, as someone said recently, like the clay before the potter wet and loose and in your hands and in your control. Why? I want it to be good soil. I want to believe. I want the promise. And that's not, well, look at how awesome. Where are you? Are, are you in a desert? Are you drying out? And in that hardest place, are you willing to like re-render your heart to Christ? That's right. You're the one that made the promise. Or, that's right, I remember when I tasted and saw that it was good. It's really good. And if the God who made the promise and the God who gave us a taste is good, then the God who will deliver us from this current difficulty is good. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. If Joshua had given them rest, more would have uh, more uh, God would not have spoken later about another day that's coming, but there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their own work, just as God did from his. So it's not about works salvation. It's not about earning our way to kingdom. It's about his grace to us and us being willing and to believe, submitting ourselves to him. Let us therefore make every effort to enter his rest so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. We've been given the model of what not to do. Let's don't do that. 
And I'm admitting with you, there's, this is a difficult thing because what do you, you know, is it our responsibility or not? Right? Yes. We're, we're called to believe, to submit ourselves. But yes, it's fully God's work in our lives. It's, it's not being thwarted through our sin-filled efforts. Look at, if, you know, here we go. Look at verse 12. Why? Because the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword that you could have. It penetrates to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. The CK and the pneuma, right? You think, I'm one person. Everything functions together. The, the, word, this, the word here says that the word will divide us amongst ourselves. It will separate us out. If you doubt it, look, it penetrates even, even to the point of the soul and the spirit. Listen, the joints and the marrow. The, the, the sword of God gets in there and just digs around, you know, deep in us. Like, I don't know if you experienced that. And maybe you're here and you're like, I don't experience it. Man, that's not good. Because we should experience that. Some, some ferreting out of what's still in our hearts and minds that's not of God. Some willful submission to him to ferret out the junk in our lives. It judges, the word says, the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. Scripture. I remember uh, I was recently talking to someone and, and they said, man, you know, and I'm not, saying, I'm not saying this because of me. I'm saying this because you know me. But they say, man, the way you preach is crazy. And I say, you know why? Because this sword is double-edged. And every time I wield it, it hits me first. And every time you wield it, it should hit you first. You know, some of the problems that we have in our Christian witness in the world is that we walk around as if we have everything together and then we ask the rest of the world to believe a gospel that we aren't willing to submit to ourselves. But when you wield the word rightly, it penetrates your heart and your life and it breaks you in a way. And then from that position, when you bring the word to someone, you bring it with grace and hope and love. No one is exempt. None of us get a pass. The word will separate soul from spirit breath from our mind it will separate our bones from our marrow go deep in our lives but none of that is bad it judges it says the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart and that's the hardest thing when you're rolling through scripture and god just goes mm, look at that and you're like oh that's me and you fall on your face in repentance i'm sorry lord help me i'm a man of unclean lips and God is pleased. Not because we're broken, because he's restoring us. He's pleased. I will not uh, rebuke a broken and contrite spirit, the Lord says. Pleasing to him. He loves us, and so he gives us the word. Look, 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom, listen to the word, we must give an account we must answer for our lives the day called today, the day to enter rest. And if we stop there, and that's if you, if you have a Bible that has headings, I kind of don't like headings in Bibles. I think it's someone trying to help us be lazy, right? But if you have headings, it probably stops there and you go, okay, there you go. And you say, man, and I was there. I says, Lord, where are we going to stop in this text? Because here it is, and we, you know, we've got the word cutting in and dividing us internally and separating out the good, the bad, the wheat, the chaff, right? The sheep, the goats, inside. And then the Lord says, look, therefore, 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. What will be your good confession? I knew the Lord. What will be your hope? Jesus entered heaven on my behalf. Like that, the sword that divides, you know, that divides bone from marrow. He's the one that opens the gates for us and makes a way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and no one will come to the Father except through Jesus. We have a great high priest. Look at 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just like me and you, yet he was without sin. We have a perfect high priest. He struggled in all the ways you struggle. He has all the same difficulties that we have, and yet he did not sin. That's our high priest. Let us then approach the throne of grace, the throne of grace with confidence in his name, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. You see, if we stop there when that sword is in, and we just go, oh, I'm not going to make it. And he says, no, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus who makes a way. That's the clarion call of the church. There's nothing else. That's it. We stake all of our claim on it. And come whatever comes in this life, come whatever comes of, of our, um, our work and our ministry or anything else in our life, the, what we look to is Jesus himself, our great and perfect high priest who has entered into the sanctuary and invited us. Why should we worry about it? Well, Bill, I'm saved. I remember. Does your life look like one who's listening? I mean, I asked it of myself. Does my life look like one who's listening? And the Spirit and His grace edges me ever forward toward entering with confidence into the throne of grace. How about you? Are you following Him with everything that you have? Are you looking beyond this world to His kingdom coming and celebrate more what He has promised than what we have right now? That's the difficulty that we face in this desert time. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, I thank you so much for the way that you move amongst your people. I thank you so much for your word that is powerful and active and, and, and it, it feels sometimes as though it wounds. It feels sometimes as though it's someone who doesn't love, but it's, it's not a sword to pierce our soul and let us bleed out, but it's a scalpel who divides and who moves the stuff that needs to come out that's making us sick. I pray, Father God, for my friends here today who don't believe that you have made a way in Jesus' name. I pray that your spirit would convict them in the deepest parts and that they would, their testimony would not be, well, some pastor convinced me or some church convinced me, but Lord, you moved in my life and you, you wrestled me and you, you won, that you would have your way with their hearts and their minds, Father, in everything. And then, Father, for, for those who are following you and we have said you are our Lord and our Savior, we don't want to be like those at the gate who says, Lord, Lord, and you say, I never knew you. We want to submit ourselves to you again. Would you help us? Would you divide us? Would you show us those areas of life that need to change? And would you help us to live in faith in this desert time? May you be glorified as your people follow you, and I mean that in every way. May you be glorified as we follow you together. I thank you so much for the work you're doing. I thank you for what I see happening at, at, with folks at Family Bible Church and beyond. I thank you for the way that your mercy does reign and rule in this life. And yet I know we need encouragement for the day. Help us to not harden our hearts against you. Help us to not harden our hearts against you. 
And may we submit to you and love you and worship you. May you receive right praise from our lips from now and for eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.